just give yourself 72 hours and try some of the stuff we're talking about. Just, you know, try my recipes, try your recipes, try making yourself shakes and smoothies for three days out of full fiber or no juicing, blended vegetables and fruits and give up the gluten and the dairy and the sugar and tell me how you feel. You'll feel a difference in about 12 hours. In 72 hours, you will definitely feel a difference. That's Rocco Despirito, and this is The Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. What's going on, you guys? How are you? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Thanks for dropping in on my show, on my podcast. Podcast. The world of podcasting. It's such a funny word, isn't it? I guess it's finding its way into the vernacular of the mainstream, but I also think we still got a ways to go to really penetrate culture. I just got back from Austin last night. I was there all last week and on my way to the airport, I was talking to my Uber driver, who incidentally was listening to the radio when I got in the car. And in that moment, I realized I've probably taken hundreds of Ubers just in the last couple of years and, and not once, not on one occasion have I gotten into an Uber and the driver was listening to a podcast. It's always the radio, not one time. So I'm talking to this guy and I start asking him, hey, have you ever listened to a podcast? He goes, yeah, I listen to one once in a while, you know, I don't know, a couple here and there. And when I pressed him, when I asked him specifically what he liked, what shows did he subscribe to, he said he didn't subscribe to any of them. He couldn't remember the name of a single podcast. Then I said, hey, do you have an iPhone? He's like, yeah, he shows me his phone. I was like, give me that. I go, you know, this purple app that is right here on your home screen, it comes with (laughs) with the iPhone, it's built into your device. He's like, yeah, I never really saw that before. I've never pressed that. Uh, which I found amazing. Uh, and so I subscribed him to my show uh, just because as a joke, and he thought that was funny. He said he was going to listen. But my point is that it seems like podcasting is exploding. I know that it is, but I still think there's quite a bit of work to do to get this medium uh, out to the masses. Anyway, yeah, man, that's the deal. This is a podcast. It's my podcast. Welcome to it. The show where each week for the last five years, I go deep, I get intimate and probe some of the most compelling minds and personalities in wellness, fitness, nutrition, sports, technology, entrepreneurship, basically the most interesting people I can find. Uh, These are not interviews, they're conversations, and they're conversations I think, I hope at least, matter and make a difference. Did I mention I've got Rocco Despirito on? You know this guy, right? James Beard, award-winning celebrity chef. The whole celeb chef thing, it's a weird phenomenon, isn't it? It's a fascinating, interesting cultural development that I think is fueled predominantly in large part by reality TV. People apparently love to watch people cook great food. And I suppose they like the drama inherent in that subculture. And I think I always thought about Rocco solely in this context. But what I didn't realize until I started prepping for this conversation is just what an incredible savant Rocco is when it comes to cooking. There are great chefs, and then there are those that are truly touched, like food wizards. And based on some things that I read about Rocco, he's just one of those guys. He's a guy who the New York Times praised as a prodigy from the start. They've called some of his dishes pure genius. But one thing I did know about Rocco is that after many years of chefing, fancy chefing, cooking, that he put on a bunch of weight, he got unhealthy, he became sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then he started eating, and more importantly, cooking healthier, which 
didn't exactly go over super well initially with the highfalutin world of haute cuisine, but he believed in what he was doing. He got personal results. He ended up doing a bunch of triathlons, which is, I think, when I became a little bit more aware of him and something I personally find to be pretty inspiring. And he started turning his focus away from the fancier, well-heeled aspects of great food and started helping others get healthier. He started refocusing his attention on health, which I think is laudable and, and sort of courageous, especially when you begin to really appreciate the social dynamics of the New York food scene, which is something that we get into at length. But what really struck me and prompted me to reach out to him to do this with him, do the podcast with him, is that more recently, Rocco has really embraced plant-based cuisine. In fact, that is the primary thrust of his new cookbook, Rocco's Healthy and Delicious. It's his 13th book. I think he's written five New York Times bestsellers, if I'm not mistaken. And I was super interested in this twist, in this evolution, what led him away from more traditional cuisine first towards more traditional, quote-unquote, healthy cuisine, and now to the plant-based world. And that is something uh, that we really dig into uh, in depth in this conversation. Look, I turned 51 in a week. Did you guys hear? October 20th is my birthday. In case you haven't heard, I'm using this occasion to try to do a little good by helping Charity Water build clean water projects for those in need. Why am I doing this? Because 663 million people live without clean water. That's nearly one out of every 10 people in the world. Diseases from dirty water kill more people every year than all forms of violence, including war. And every day, about 1,400 kids die from diseases caused by unsafe water and poor sanitation. Think about that every single day. It's a big, crazy problem, but it's also an entirely solvable problem, a problem that together I think we can help solve. In fact, you guys already have. We've raised $28,000 so far, which is unreal. And I just wanted to thank you for that because that's amazing. Uh, you guys have reached into your pocketbooks and extended yourselves. And I thank you. Charity Water thanks you. But we're still short of my $51,000 goal. So I really need your help. It feels amazing to give. This is the giving season. And the work that Charity Water is doing, uh, if you listen to my podcast with Scott Harrison, the Charity Water founder and CEO, you know, is amazing. So please visit my fundraising page at my.charitywater.org forward slash richroll and uh, consider a donation. And when the water projects are complete, Charity Water will send all of us tons of photos and GPS coordinates so we can see up close the impact and the exact community that we helped, which is amazing. So again, my.charitywater.org forward slash richroll. And thank you so much. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, 
that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. Okay, Rocco. For those unfamiliar, Rocco Despirito is a guy who has starred in more cooking-related TV shows than I can possibly mention. He was named Food & Wine Magazine's Best New Chef, People Magazine's Sexiest Chef, and was the first chef to appear on Gourmet Magazine's cover as America's Most Exciting Young Chef. His three-star restaurant, Union Pacific, was a New York City culinary landmark for many years, and the accolades kind of go on and on and on. So in the course of this conversation, we cover a ton of stuff. We cover his growing up in Queens, New York, in a classic Italian-American household, how he learned to cook and appreciate the social applications of food from his mother, making people feel loved, is the why behind the how. We talk about his career arc, which began with him studying at the Culinary Institute of America at the age of just 16, which is really young, and led to stints at some of the world's 
finest restaurants. Uh, we discuss his personal health journey, triathlons and cooking and eating healthier. We talk about his new, almost completely plant-based cookbook, Rocco's Healthy and Delicious, more than 200 mostly plant-based recipes for everyday life, as well as his new found passion to really preach the gospel of eating an organic whole food plant-based diet. We talk about his work helping others achieve better health, both through one-on-one -on -one coaching, through his meal planner service, and his philanthropic work with HealthCore and others. We discuss the ramifications of the Western diet on the entire planet and all of its people and how it's actually not super expensive to eat healthy. So this one is really fun. Ultimately, if you know me, I love a good character arc and Rocco really delivers. Uh, this is a guy who grew up very modestly to achieve success. He has had fame, but he has also met many obstacles and detractors along the way. And I really think that what he is doing now, where he is focusing his efforts is, like I said, laudable. And it was great to spend a couple hours with him. So here's my conversation with Rocco. Cool, man. You ready to rock? I'm ready. Did we start already? We're starting, dude. <laughs> Rocco Despirito in the house. We're doing the podcast. Thanks for uh, making the drive up here, man. I How do you think they it. developed the, the the term podcast? What? How is this a pod, I don't know. Pod of I what? feel like he's part of. Yeah, I don't know, but it's not a great word. I, I'm, right. I'm glad that it's finally catching on. I mean, I started this five years ago, and no, oh, wow. one, no so one was way listening. Ahead of everyone, everyone's like, you know, what's? I mean, still people are like, oh, I heard you have this podcast, but I don't even know like how to listen to it. And I'm like, do you have an iPhone? Yeah, and they're like, exactly. yeah, and I'm like, see that purple thing? You know, it comes <laughs> with the phone. You know, yeah. they're like, oh, I've never, I've never touched that. You know? know, so there's still you know a little bit of a barrier i think but it's changed a lot you know it's changed a lot but i think and that, most of the barriers are gone yeah and people look so. forward to them now and they have their favorites and yeah and it's cool like I, now it's become like blogging everyone's got a podcast yeah, you know? know so I, I was a little i mean i wasn't like an early adopter but i definitely started early. mine before yeah, yeah. i mean it wasn't cool to have a podcast yeah. when i started yeah, yeah. mine um but it's been you know it's been amazing it gives me an opportunity to like get in touch with yeah, people, people like you and convince and, you to yeah, come to my sure, house sure. and then I get to hold you hostage you for a couple Calabasas, hours. I'm like, done, done. <laughs> Have you ever been out to this yeah, area course, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Beautiful, beautiful out here. So welcome to LA. Thank you, thank you so much. Congrats on the new book. Thanks, man, thanks. Yeah, thanks. it's great. So um, you came across my radar because people were saying, oh, Rock has got this new book and he's got all the, he's, he's you know, exploring plant-based and he's got all these plant-based recipes. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's a development. Like I knew you're general you know story your kind of evolution from you know a more traditional way of cooking and cuisine and then you know sort of gaining weight and getting unhealthy and then i knew that you had become a triathlete and lost mm -hmm. all this kind of weight yeah. and, and had become this kind of spokesperson or advocate for healthier living but i didn't realize like that path had kind of continued and has now led you to dip your toe into the plant-based world which is pretty cool yes it is exactly what happened as my uh, personal diet evolves. I, I'm realizing that, you know, we have to move to uh, a gluten-free diet, dairy-free diet, you know, organic, uh -huh. uh, all these things that, that I dared not bring up in the beginning of this right. journey because in the beginning, when I said healthy and cookbook, everyone thought it was insane. Right. My publishers were like, you know, you're the flavor guy. You can't do healthy, but that's mm -hmm. hospital food. Right, and it's like telling an actor, like friends. you do comedies, you can't do drama. Yeah, right, exactly. You know? But we're all we're all constantly evolving, and you know, and For I sure. think, you know, as reading the introductory introductory sections in the new book, like you're very 
frank about that. You're like, look, this is how I started. These are the books that I wrote and they did very well. This is how I, you know, this is how I learned how to cook. And that's what I was sharing. And now I've changed. And, you know, I look back on some of those recipes and I don't eat that way. You know, exactly. And I'm sure they're amazing. Of course they are. You know, James Beard award winning book flavor. I mean, you you know, how many books have you written? 13 books. This is 13 now. Yeah. I do that. But like. I appreciated your acknowledgement of that evolutionary path and it's brought you to here and us talking for sure. Yeah. I mean, you have to uh, keep changing, uh, have to be dynamic, have to react to what's going on around you as you fine tune your personal health regimen, you're going to learn that things will change all the time. As you get older, things will change. You'll tolerate less and less garbage and, uh, the cleaner you want to eat them, the more you seem to have to get rid of. But I don't like to talk about this in terms of, deprivation, getting rid of things, because if you choose healthy, it seems like there's a whole world of uh, indulgence that's available to you Mm -hmm. when you get rid of all the packaged garbage and all the, you know, gluten containing foods that are your typically packaged foods. You're, you're all of a sudden open up to this world of fresh food. Yeah. And that's a big world of options. You know, it's like, it's how my grandma, grandma ate. And, uh, it's the life she provided for us. She grew fruits and vegetables in her garden. She had, you know, her own chickens and rabbits and made her own wine, made her own bread, preserved her own tomatoes. And mm. I, I lived that way for a long time. But because of ethnic self-loathing, you know, I, I rejected that 100%. I went to France to learn how to cook like French people and lived there for two years. And, and, and now I realized in my mid I was like, this is, the, this is the best thing that ever happened to me growing up with all these wonderful Italian you know, uh, these, this lifestyle that is traditional contadina style living, you know, farmer, right. farmer we, living. We, I think that's right. Like we tend to think of it as being new, but it's really kind of like, uh, tracing us back to the old, like a yeah. lot of plant-based yeah. eating is very, it's peasant food, you know, at its core. For, for I sure. Think. For sure. Um, and I like the idea of approaching it, you know, having a perspective of what you're bringing into your life, what you're inviting into your life and treating that like a new adventure as opposed to focusing on, okay, these are the things we're, we're cutting out, you know, because that's what we do as humans. We look at, we look at it from a deprivation point. Oh, what, what, if I don't eat this and how am I going to live or how am I going to enjoy my food? And, you know, for somebody who is so extraordinarily skilled in the kitchen, to develop an appreciation uh, for what can be done in that world, I think is very cool. Um, because I think um, the plant-based world is full of people who kind of enter it from you know, a strictly kind of medical health perspective or um, an advocacy perspective, mm-hmm. but it's not very many trained chefs you know, that are willing to, there's a few, you know, we have the Matthew Kennys and those guys. Yeah. He's a pioneer and I Uh, mentioned him in the book. Yeah. I noticed that. I noticed that he's been on the podcast. He's friends. Oh, good. Great. He's, he's done an amazing job of bringing awareness to this world. And boy, was he ahead of his time? Yeah, I know. And, and the results, the world is catching up to him. He looks so good. Yeah. 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 I know. He's like, I'm like, every (laughs) time I see him, I'm like, you're, I can't believe how, (laughs) how vital and young. And I mean, he's been eating essentially raw forever, you know, and he's like, preserved in a vacuum that guy because i think he's like 53 or 54 now you're 50 right 51 yeah yeah 51 yeah Yeah, i'm 50 i'm about to turn 51 um so we're about the same age yeah cool and we've had kind of similar in very different ways but kind of similar uh journeys through our relationship to food so uh 
so I want to track it back. But I had one final thought on that. So I also want to bring up the New Yorker cartoon. Did you see the New Yorker cartoon? About? No, what was that? Oh, it's two people talking and, and one says to the other, hey, I want to stop a podcast today. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> you should have that plastered. I know. There's so many podcasts now. Ugh. Don't even get me started. That's a whole other podcast that we <laughs> yeah. should stop doing right now. Trashing podcasters. Um, yeah. But... I so had, well, you, you had a question. No, I was gonna, yeah. yeah, no, I was going to tell you this quick story, which is, do you know Seamus Mullen? Yes, of Chef? course. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Seamus is a friend. Yeah. yeah. He's been on the podcast too. And when I was in New York, maybe a year ago, he's like, come uh, come down to Tertulia. I'll cook you, I'll cook you a plant-based meal. I was like, great. So I went down there and he made this incredible multi-course, you know, delight of a dinner for a friend of mine and I. And I was amazed. And I was like, this is better than almost anything I've ever had at any vegan restaurant or any other kind of like plant-based meal I've ever had. Like, how did, how did you do this? And he said something very interesting was that he's like, listen, it, it was kind of relates back to the point I just made a minute ago, which is that people who open vegan restaurants or get involved in this movement, they are, um, you know, coming they're, from they're, an they're advocacy from, point yeah, of yeah, view, exactly. not from a trained but they, chef. They're, they weren't, yeah. they're not, they're not trained in the yeah. way that guys like you and, and Seamus are. Yeah. So he's yeah. approaching food and flavor and texture from a yeah. very specific yeah. culinary point of view. And so he's able to do things that most people like, you know, can't other right. than people like yourself. And I was like, we need more people like that to be entering this world because that's really going to change people's perspectives on what this can be, like the potential in here. Yeah, I mean, that's why so. I call the book Healthy and Delicious. And I think it's a chef's perspective that uniquely prepares us to create foods that are healthy and delicious because right. for a long time, healthy meant not delicious. And for a long time, delicious meant not healthy. And there's, Yeah, these are mutually in, in my, exclusive. Right. And yeah. my very first book, my tagline is no longer mutually exclusive. And I finally just said, let me call a book Healthy and Delicious because that's really what I'm trying to convey here. Common sense, healthy delicious right there's right. no reason to give one up for the other especially if you let a chef like me use my 30 years of experience right. and culinary bag of tricks to, to figure out how to do that for you and that's and that's what i do every day i'm sort of in the lab every day figuring out how to hack foods or not even hack foods just cook them uh from the base up to be delicious and healthy and it's like when i worked kosher catering for a long time um so I got through college doing kosher catering. Some right. people we're gonna dance. Get, we're going to track it Some back in dance. a minute. But, uh, I, yeah. I did kosher catering. Uh -huh. um, well, you did a little dancing too. <laughs> uh, yeah, just never got paid for it, unfortunately. Uh, didn't have the right G-string. You know the one that holds the dollar bills really well? I didn't have that. You didn't that, have yeah. that? Um, well, next Working time. on it. So um, when I did kosher catering, me and um, chef two chef friends who started Terra Chips were working for this caterer. Mm -hmm. And... He would ask us to innovate because he was really interested in pushing the envelope and moving kosher catering forward. And this is mid-80s, right? And we yeah. all had worked for Jean-Georges uh, at Lafette. Right. And we're like, it's easy. We just don't have to use, just don't use dairy. There's all this other stuff left when you cut out dairy. There's thousands of choices. Mm -hmm. But you can't see that if you're not trained to use every ingredient on the planet and know what to do with them and how to cook them and how to prepare them. Uh, so we were able to move this caterer from, you know, the, the 50s to current, you know, uh, trending 1986 food, which at that time was fried vegetable chips and, right. and ba basil oil and that kind of thing, stuff mm -hmm. that Jean-Georges was innovating. And he was amazed, you know, and that was like my first lesson. And they're really, the parameters don't matter, right? If you know how to, if you have the basic skill set, parameters are nothing. You know, I just did a competition where all we had were parameters. It's called Guy's Grocery Game. So right. the game is do everything I can to make it impossible for you to cook this food. 
but no matter what he does, figure out how to figure figure out how to do it. Right. Well, I think I would imagine your training and your experience uh, teaches you what all the rules are and how to break and them. And then you the learn how to break them. Yeah, but you know right. what rule you're breaking when you're breaking it and why you're breaking it in exactly. that way, right? And what you hope to get as, as a result. And deliciousness is obviously a number one priority for me, even though um, I'm writing, I, even though I started writing healthy books, d- flavor was still the number one goal, right? right. Flavor and then uh, it ain't a smattering of health. It, right. it doesn't matter. No one's going you know, no to yeah. eat it. So yeah. yeah, that's the thing. So what is the daily, like, what is your daily routine in the kitchen? Like how you said, like, I'm in my lab and I'm doing Like, what does that look like? like so a, I have a, um, I have a kitchen in New York city and I like have a, a commercial small, kitchen outside yeah, of where commercial, you live. Commercial uh-huh. kitchen. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, and I have a, a food delivery service. It's called the pound a day diet. It's born from my book, the pound a day diet. And, uh, when I wrote that book, it was the first book that was a, like a real diet book, very strong diet promise. And it promised on the cover five pounds, five days, right? That's a huge promise to mm-hmm. make. So of course, publishers want you to prove that you can accomplish that with your diet. So they asked me to do a clinical trial. I did it with 12 people. I put them on the diet. I, I sent them the food. I made the food that was in the book. I created the calorie restriction and, and everything that needed to happen for them to lose a pound a day. And at the end of the week, it of course worked with everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I say of course now, cause that was six years ago. I didn't know it was going to work when I wrote the book, but I ended up proving that you could, you could create a calorie deficit of 3,500 per day and you'd lose weight. Um, and then those people said, we don't want to stop. Don't, uh-huh. we know that, you know, it's over, but we love this. This is amazing. It's life changing. And I still have some of those clients. So every day I'm innovating new products, new foods for my clients mm-hmm. and delivering six to eight meals a day that help them achieve their health, health goals. Right. For some people it's losing weight. For some people it's reversing diabetes, reversing um, heart disease, metabolic syndrome, all kinds of things. That's cool. So I'm so always you, in the lab working right. on these dishes and everyone gets a custom plan because if you don't like the food, you're not going to eat it. So right. even though I'm cutting calories and carb correcting and removing sugars and you know making carb uh, empty calorie carb dishes, protein heavy, so, I, so that people can uh, lose weight, um, they have to be delicious, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm basically in an R and D environment every day. It's unique. Uh, I don't know that there's anybody else with your skill set who's approaching food from a health perspective in in the way that you. Yeah, are. we're frightened to death yeah. to do it. We're yeah. all being made fun of. Well, we're you, fi- yeah, finally being embraced by the the community. You're and, crazy, and, and the community of chefs. You and Seamus is doing a, this. an important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's that, got yeah. a very powerful yeah. message that's yeah. you know consistent with your own. Yeah, for that, sure, for regard. sure. And he's doing it in restaurants, and he's and there's acceptance, and it gives me actually a lot of hope uh, because. I've been looking for the next opportunity to maybe get back in the restaurant business. And mm. I keep telling people who, who come to me and ask, what are you going to do? I'm like, I, you know, if I do what I did in the nineties, it, it's been done. What I'm really passionate about is healthy and no one's ready for it. But you know, I think people are finally I ready think people for are it. getting ready for it. Yeah. I think people are getting ready for yeah. it. And just walking around New York city and seeing the proliferation of, you know, plant-based uh, focused restaurants. It's kind yeah. of amazing. Like I just love going there. And every time I go, there's new places all over the place and, you know, new organic, fresh pressed juice. I mean, this is like everywhere there, right. All within walking distance. So, yeah. you know, maybe it's not as penetrated into, you know, certain areas of America as it could be. There's still tons of work sure, to be done. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. we're going to get into kind of what yeah. that work looks like and, and, and some of the things that you're doing in that mm-hmm. space. But, but in terms of New York City, come on, dude, it's time. 
right? It's definitely you got to step there. back yeah, into yeah, this. Yeah. I think so. I'm excited to see you. You know, I'm, I, it's timing. It's the right. I know it's the right people and yeah. partners and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah. um, I think the world. I think the world would be excited if you if you could figure that out. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to think I can agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the the issue for me is um, how to make it commercial and and broad enough so that a lot of people can participate. And I, mm-hmm. for some reason, that's always the expectation of, of me from others. Yeah. I'm very happy doing something super small and, you know, making it available to a very tiny, you know, population, but, um, it, that's not interesting to other people, yeah. you know, investors and, and big restaurant chains, you know, obviously they want, they want stuff that they can scale. Well, it's a conundrum for you because as somebody who, I mean, look, you're a legitimate celebrity, you have a very high profile and that gives you the power to communicate with a massive number of people. And if you're in the kitchen, you're focusing on serving a very, you know, just a select small number of people. I think that aspect of what you do and who you are is important, but trying to figure out how you balance those two ways of, of kind of, um, you know, serving people with your talents is a tricky equation to solve. It seems that way. It seems like it's been tricky. Um, I'm very happy doing my small client, my private client business and, you know, definitely changing lives there. I've had people lose a hundred pounds, get off you know, loads of medicine um, that are 72 years old that don't no longer need right. their diabetes medicine. One client, uh, his blood pressure dropped so so fast that his doctor couldn't titrate his medicine quick enough to keep up with it, uh-huh. and so he ended up uh, passing out. And uh, he'd right. go out so and like, pass yeah, out. that happens with people. He was over medicated. Right, yeah. He thought mm-hmm. it was the food. He thought, oh, you're not feeding me enough yeah. food. You're not giving me. I was like, no, you, you're getting hundred grams of protein. You're getting yeah. this amount of healthy fats. This amount of, I know the macronutrition down. I have, I have every client's macronutrition memorized uh-huh. down to phytonutrients sometimes. And, uh, I'm like, no, you should check with your doctor. You probably don't need to take that medicine anymore. And lo and behold, he checked with the doctor and this guy's like, you don't need this anymore. And you know, I'm getting goosebumps thinking yeah. about that. It was 90 days after he started. That's me. crazy. I, I hear you, so many stories like that and people go to their doctor and their doctor's like, what are you doing? Like, I don't, I've never seen this before. <laughs> right, exactly. like, how is this happening? Like, yeah. it's, this is a miracle, you know, and they, they can't even believe that this is actually occurring. Because, Poor doctors. Like, Poor doctors. They're, unless changing. you're working with an There's integrated. There's a lot of good doctors yeah. out there, but like, yeah, there, there's a, there's a big curve there, yeah. I think that needs to be, yeah. um, that needs to be addressed. Obviously, I'm a big fan of doctors. I, I, been relying on them to take care of my parents my whole life mm-hmm. and myself um but the ones that are starting to become integrative medicine doctors and use you know functional nutrition and uh food are the ones who i think are the yeah, laying the path for the future you know they're laying the right. path for the future yeah and they're they're creating those protocols you right. know that you're that you're working on so when you work so you're actually working with people like on a one-on-one basis yes i it, it's it's more than one-on-one it's 24 uh-huh. it's very close so I'm, i end up being there health coach by design. This is a 360 degree fully integrated program. You get um, a customized menu plan. I have you wear Fitbits and use a smart scale. So I'm, I'm remotely monitoring how much, how many calories you're burning, how many uh-huh. steps, you know, what your you're sitting in bed is. at night going online. Like what's he doing right now? I know exactly. <laughs> it's what not that bad. It's not that bad. And yeah. some people are afraid, uh, uh-huh. you know, they don't know how much information their scales would give me. So, <laughs> yeah. but if you use like a Wything scale, it'll give me their, you know, BMR yeah. body fat mm-hmm. percent, which is of course the most important metric for me, the body fat percent. Cause the total weight is, is meaningless without knowing right. the body fat percent. Um, so, so I have small data from wearables and smart scales. 
that allow me to be predictive and prescriptive with their menus. So if they did a lot of cardio today, I know they need more carbs tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Typically, I'm on a lower carb uh, keto kind of plan for mm -hmm. most people because most people have eaten way too many carbs in their lives. And yeah, so um, so that's one part of it. And then I'm available 24-7 for my clients to, to coach them and, and talk them out of buying a pound of Skittles at CVS at right. 2 a.m. You know, that's cool, Which man. has had, that's a true story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So therapist, <laughs> chef, yeah, they call me their uh, you know, rabbi. Like, I know, like you're like doing, yeah. Usually, like somebody who would be doing that, there's like, okay, the doctor handles this, and then we outsource the food to yeah. this person or whatever. But like to take yeah. all of it, just shoulder all of that for people, that's a lot. It's you know what, it's a lot or not a lot. I'm not sure. I, I am the most fulfilled I've ever been in my life. I feel like I spent all my my all those years of my life, most of my life, learning how to cook to do this now. Mm. I feel like that was the preamble to this phase of my life because without those cooking skills, I could not do this, mm -hmm. as we discussed already. Without yeah. having the deep background in the culinary world that I have, I couldn't make these foods so that they were you know, 78% or 80% less calorically dense mm -hmm. uh, and you know, no sugar. and I, It would be impossible to figure those right. things out. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, that's an interesting arc because... I would imagine when you're immersed in the world of, you know, celebrity chefdom, that's a very ego-inflating, ego you know, kind of in certain respects, like, you know, self-involved kind of universe, right? And then to be kind of in this more service role, like, yeah, well, I don't know, like, I want to get into what that's <laughs> yeah, like, but, yeah. but, you know, then to be kind of in service to these people who, who really, you know, not only need, you know, what it is that you're providing them, but whose lives are being so profoundly affected by yeah. that is like, that's an, there's nothing better than that. I, I'm so grateful for <clears> it. And, you know, it all happened by accident. I didn't, you know, create a deck one night and say, Hey, I got a great idea for right. a business. Let me go fund it. And let me go do, you know, it just happened organically. And uh, the pound a day diet book was the beginning of that. Um, and, uh, it's still going six years later. I still have many of the same clients and they tell their friends and it's all worked out really well. Word of mouth. What I would love to do more than anything is to be able to get this wisdom and know-how and program and food to the masses because it would solve so many of our problems. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sure you've talked, you know, extensively about how eating a plant-based diet would solve the health care crisis that we have in the United States, yeah, would solve would, the Middle East peace issue, issues would, that we have, the dependence yeah. on foreign oil. I mean, it's um, literally the it's solution to almost every problem it, it we talk about on every CNN every day. You know? box. Yeah. checks every box. Yeah. You know, it really does. And yes, I do. Environment, climate change. That. I mean, just, I keep, just keep going mm -hmm. down the list. I don't think people realize the, the tentacles and how far-reaching they are. That the Western diet is destroying the world and our lives and creating all these problems that we, we don't need to have. Right. And we're exporting it all over the world. I like know. I, I traveled all over the place. I've been in Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, like crazy places. I've given talks and I, and I meet with these people, parents whose kids are obese and they're experiencing these kinds of um, health issues, you know, diabetes, obesity. Mm -hmm heart disease for the first time in the history of mankind because you drive down the street like it's too hot they're at malls all day and there's right. just fast food outlets and there. they're playing KFC video and games McDonald's and like, and, yeah and that's yeah. what they're eating and and they're like why is everyone all of a sudden fat you know right. and they're like and right. they don't they don't know how to deal with it right. in the way that we're learning how to deal with it now yeah. and uh so this is a global issue on it, the health front and of course on the environmental front I and was so economic front uh, uh, literally on every front, right? This is the source of so many problems. Um, if 
cheap processed food wasn't in such high demand, we wouldn't have the Monsanto issue. We wouldn't have the pesticide issue. I mean, it's it just it boggles the mind, right? Right. It, it, and you and I are thinking, we live like this. This is the solution. If everyone would just do this, it would be so simple, right? But we, you've taken the red pill in the matrix, right? Yeah. Is it the blue pill or the red pill? I don't know. I don't the know. The right I can't one. Remember. The right whatever pill. One, whatever yeah, pill it you, is. You yeah. took it, and then, but then it's, but. But if you haven't taken it, it's it's difficult, you know. To convince. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. everybody's got to kind of arrive on that on their yeah, own. Yeah, and your example can only serve so, so much, right? Yeah. The example is very strong, though. Don't we shouldn't underestimate the but power think, of the example. Yeah, but I think I think it 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 uh, it begs the question of how you communicate with the world, right? And and the way in which like how do you deliver this message in a way that it can be received and is palatable? And you know, just in reading the the forward materials in your new book, it's like you're it's very clear you're speaking to mainstream america the average person like look here's the story you know i'm not telling you this i'm not telling you that here's a couple of things that i've learned maybe you know broaden your perspective a little bit like take a take a baby step here and there's a trust like if you do this like you're you'll see results and then you're going to want to take that extra step but you're not you're not pushing people you're not judging anyone so i think it's really important to be conscious and aware and mindful about the words that we choose mm -hmm. and the manner in which we try to spread this healthy message mm -hmm. because it comes off it can come off as preachy or judgmental yeah. or you know and that's just, it's just that's working at cross purposes with what you want right. to achieve right 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 so, i mean you want you want to get on your soapbox and shout as loud as you can and you be evangelical but and there are people that work. do that it and I, I think you need all those voices yeah. you need yeah. every kind of voice but mm -hmm. i think because you have you know this audience of people that spans you know every demographic like there's a responsibility that comes with that like okay how am i gonna what you know how how am i choosing to communicate with these people like, or what is deep the desire it's not, not yeah not as much of a responsibility it's like i've i, I got the red pill i want to give you the yeah. red pill you know i, I figured it out this mm -hmm. is so cool i can't believe that you can go from having the metabolic age of a 68 year old man when you're 38 to an 18 year old and that i did that in a year you know i went from you know, uh, being seriously ill and mm -hmm. getting serious advisories from my doctor, who I've, Dr. Michael Hammer, I'll never forget the day. He's like, okay, after all these years of you coming in here and telling me you've got uh, problems and me telling you, you you're paranoid and you're healthy and you're young, you finally have problems. You're, you've got things to worry about. You're going to be in big trouble, right? I know your family right. history, there's like heart disease on both sides. 38, I'm like, right? I this am? Time? Really? Yeah. What? You know, I, I was 40 pounds heavier. It was all fat. I, mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, eating the foie gras, drinking the red wine, living the life of, of, of a chef. You know, it's a super indulgent world. And But we're eating organic food from the market, right? I went to Union Square Market the entire time I ran Union Pacific. We bought the best ingredients. It's just that it turns out that those are, you know, typically high in sugar and the dishes, the resulting dishes are typically not, not good for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I think all across America and the world, doctors are having those kind of conversations with 38-year-old men and women or 40 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's only the rare individual that has that light bulb moment that wakes up and right. really fundamentally changes their relationship with food and lifestyle. Right. I had that experience. You had that experience. But a lot of people are, you know, there's a lot of people who will just say, well, it's, this is genetic. I'll go on these statins. I'll try to like do a little bit better, but they don't really alter their lifestyle that much. So, you know, was it, what was it with you? Like, did, were you just, did you just scare the shit out of you? Or so like, so I remember it so clearly. He, he, he told me I would have to take three medications mm -hmm. and he gave me the prescriptions. He, he also said as a throwaway, 
of course you can change your diet and lifestyle and be more active and eat better and this will all be this will all go away i tell all my clients that but no one ever listens mm -hmm. and i was like oh this will go i all i heard was this could go away and i thought i all right what would tell me about the medicine so there were some statins and some you know blood pressure meds that cause all kinds of side effects and he started to tell me you know about the side effects and when he got to you know certain side effects i was like okay the the sudden death the depression yeah. uh the suicidal thoughts uh yeah. you know the anal leakage those are all fine but you know there are some other ones that i just <laughs> yeah. cannot accept and I, you, i'll leave it up to your imagination to figure out which one i'm talking about but uh i was like at 38 i don't want to be faced with impotent that's just mind-boggling right yeah and i'm like i can change this let me let me go try to do that i said give me six months let me let me try to change this and uh, i've been working with a trainer really nice guy and um just coincidentally <laughs> right around the, in the same six month period my chiropractor i have scoliosis i've been working with a chiropractor forever uh asked me to help him with a charity he said can you help me with the with this charity i'm doing it's called the Grand cup I'm like, sure, yeah, no problem. I, I'm thinking 500 portions of, you know, tuna at some, you know, catering event where, uh -huh. you know, a grazing event where they invite a thousand people. So a few months later, he's like, are you ready for the triathlon? I'm like, what's, what's that? What's a triathlon? <laughs> <laughs> he stuck he's that like, in? Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah you, you signed up for that. Remember the Grandish Cup? It's a triathlon. It's a sprint. Uh -huh. I was like, well, tell me about that. What is that? He's like, well, you got to, you know, you got to swim, bike, run. I'm like, okay. Um, and my trainer, uh, who's never done a triathlon, was a really big, muscly guy, not triathlon. Right, not specific. like a lean, yeah. like runner type. Yeah, dude. not like you. Uh -huh. uh, we were like, okay, let's do this, right? So we started training and we both did it. We Fast forward a few months later, we finished last and next to last. Uh -huh. Yeah, I won't tell you who was last and who was next to last. But, <laughs> um, and we got, you know, the Athena group swam by me in the water like I was standing still. You know, that's women over 60, right? Uh -huh. And their pink caps. And I was one of the first waves to go. So in Tri Speak, we're talking about waves. I'm Is sure your like listeners the, know about all this. Is this like in the Hudson or where? No, was it's it? in Todd's Pond in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did New York as you well. Did New York, that, right. that, yeah. One swim in that Hudson River yeah. is enough. It's enough. Have you, <laughs> you done get that? Your, one? In, get your immunization shots. I did. I, I got did hepatitis you? immunization. I got. Yeah, yeah you have yeah. to get a whole battery of shots. I I haven't, but I've had friends that have done. Well, don't the, the uh, Manhattan Marathon Island. So they go all the way around, like 28 miles all the way around. Okay. The thing. Sure, sure, sure. And I remember this is when I was living in New York, like early, like 89, 90. My roommate who swam with me in college, he wanted to do it. And they give you this handbook and it has all the dangers of what it's like. Right, it's right, like right. when you're up in the Harlem River and you have to get like 20 shots and all this kind of stuff. And apparently there was some, like by the George Washington Bridge, there's some giant suck hole. Like yes, there's, yes, you that's have to right, be aware right. of and like all this insanity. It's a riptide that and then comes he got from... like a infection. He got some like urinary infection afterwards. And he, he refused to believe that was because he spent, you know, 12 hours like swimming in that water so yeah I, only one infection he was very lucky <laughs> anyway, so luckily sorry. for us on the new york city try it's only uh 800 meters and it's downstream and it's very fast right. and you're out of the water in 18 minutes it was the first time i had uh mouthwash in my transition you did kit. yeah <laughs> and i used the whole bottle yeah and i couldn't get that taste out of my mouth anyway uh try war try you triathlon war triathlon. stories so i did my first triathlon and it was the best day of my life i got i crossed the finish line it took me um, three hours to do a sprint, which is insane, obviously, as you know. And uh, but it was it was a happy statement. I I never had felt more accomplished. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to walk most of the three miles, but we finished. You got it done, man. I got it done. Right. You know? You're only in competition yeah. against yourself in a triathlon, even though it's a, a 
team sport. And then, of course, I fell in love with the gear. The gear is yeah. so compelling, right? Oh, I mean, I the gear is so you much fun. You got out of the rabbit hole with that forever. Oh, I'm still in that rabbit hole. Right. And yeah, then every year there's new, and, yeah, you know. yeah. How many grams I can eliminate off my uh-huh. kit today. Uh, and, and then um, someone mentioned St. Croix, Ironman St. Croix, 7.70.2. The, the steepest hill in all of triathlon, you know, it's 21%. Right. The beast. I'm like, I have to do that. That is for me. Um, Beautiful course, too. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Great, great course. Um, the hill is so punishing, you know, that half the, the, half the people just get off their bike, off their and, bike walk and walk up. It. And you can barely walk up the hill mm-hmm. because it's, and you know, switchbacks. Slit, and you're sliding yeah. and, yeah. So I started training for that. And then at the same time, it seemed just like all the forces in my life were pushing me down this path. Same time, my friend Ben Silverman, who doesn't live far from here, actually. Right, the uh, TV guy. Producing The Biggest uh-huh. Loser, said, hey, we'd like you to come on and teach our contestants how to make healthy food. And I was like, great, okay, well, I'll do that. And I did a few seasons of that. And so so between my chiropractor and the triathlon and my doctor and Ben, and it's, everyone was pushing me down this path. And I just sold my restaurant and... Um, I really enjoyed being able to take care of myself again mm-hmm. and having the time to do that because it does require a certain amount of time, yeah. right? Especially when you're transforming from a fat frat boy to a dude who can do a triathlon, right? Yeah, uh, and if you're in the kitchen at, at the restaurant that you own, you ain't doing, 2 you're not doing yeah. any triathlons probably, right? No. Seamus, Seamus makes it work. He gets out and rides almost every it's day. It's a different world right yeah. now. It really yeah. is a different world. How does he uh, do that? he makes it a priority and he's really talented mm-hmm. you know super talented and he's able to energize and motivate people and um he's telling his story really well and and people are believing it you know yeah. and and the times are different in 2005 the story was you know fell on deaf ears when i would tell people the story they their mm-hmm. eyes would roll back in their head and they'd be like okay when are you going to get back in the restaurant but who, who right. cares about this healthy stuff and yeah 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 i could barely sell my first healthy book they no one wanted it, it took two years to sell I, I i said this is what i learned training for triathlons that you can transform all these lovely dishes into healthier versions of the, their their former selves and they'll still be delicious in many cases more delicious right like lobster bisque was my it seems first like one. such an easy sell to me because there's plenty of people writing books about you know, healthy, healthy diet cookbooks, but there aren't too many people that have the skills. But they were doctors and <laughs> yeah, they were Yeah, exactly. And, and they find some chef to like supplement their book with recipes, but that's, you, that's very different that, from, right? you know, the, yeah. the world that you're coming from. Yeah. If that, no, some, usually it's some, it's some awesome hippie who's or, growing yeah. their own food somewhere. <laughs> right. And I say hippie as a term of endearment. I mean, I love, I gotcha. They got that Dude, yeah. in the sixties. They understood how life should be lived communes growing their own food organic uh-huh. right remember that yeah, I, yeah yeah we were we were very young obviously at the time but my sisters who's 11 years older than me was a hippie by oh, yeah. definition <laughs> and they if we just continue to live like that we'd probably be, all be in better mm-hmm. shape but i think the world is more ready for a guy like seamus and a guy like me and um he's you know luckily he has a restaurant where he can offer indulgent food he still use dairy and gluten but also offer all these other foods that a lot of people are interested in so when someone like you comes it's not like you know which which bad choice do i make tonight which is the least of the bad choices right 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 we're brought to you today by birch if you're serious about optimizing your sleep listen up i've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut eye and i can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep 
inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made. And that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And 
they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. So let's track it back, man. Yeah. Let's take it All back right. to Queens. Queens, sure. Yeah, growing so, up. Uh, growing up in the 60s and 70s in Jamaica, Queens, the um, the cultural center of America. Yeah. <laughs> kidding. It is. Well, in some way well, it was. It's incredibly it, it, diverse. Yeah, so Queens yeah. is one of the most diverse parts of the United States. There's thousands of, of nationalities. There's millions of people. Um, I did grow up where hip-hop was born, so I'm pretty uh-huh. proud of that. You know, Run DMC's from there, 50 Cent's from there, um, lots of Russell Simmons, right. uh, lots of important figures in hip-hop. Yeah, so, had Russell on the podcast. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah cool. and he's all about uh, he's green all about and healthy it, and yoga. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So what was that like growing up there? It was, it was um, such a delight. <laughs> I was the yeah. Catholic school kid who had the maroon blazer and the tie that said presentation of the Holy Virgin or something on it. And I had to walk through a very dangerous park that was next to a methadone clinic. Mm. You know, so either you're, you're with meth heads or heroin addicts or, I mean, it was like, pick your danger. Which, which one do you want? Who, who do you want to beat you up today? You know, yeah. the druggies, the, the gangs. Um, it was wild, man. It was wild. Uh-huh. I, can't, I still can't believe I grew up there. Yeah, I that's, I, I mean. It was the yeah. center of the crack epidemic. I mean, uh, it, it was wild. But what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And I had this wonderful family, and my mom would make this amazing food every day at home. And so, um, you know, I'd be out in this world where we could eat Jamaican beef patties and taste great Chinese food and Japanese food and other foods from the Caribbean. So in terms of my palate, my worldview was very expanded by the time mm-hmm. I was 14, just from eating stuff in the neighborhood. And, and you just, and you learn how to cook from your mom. Yeah, of course she, she's yeah. no question. The person who helped, helped me recognize that cooking was an important skill and watching her, uh, be this wonderful human being and have this great social life and always using food to, to help facilitate it. Uh, I mean, she used food in like, quite literally to facilitate social uh her social life on buses she would take out food from her purse and give it to strangers oh yeah know? wow it's usually chunks uh-huh. of parmesan reggiano and homemade bread and they were like you know they thought she was crazy right. but then they would taste that's like and an be like, only Whoa. in new york thing you know yeah <laughs> you know, on the bus perfect strangers uh-huh. mom's like hi honey how are you hungry <laughs> right that's <laughs> they, amazing they would look at her like Mom, is it okay to talk to this crazy lady? And, you know, she was a sweet old Italian woman, so she didn't look threatening. And she'd give them, like, a hunk of Parmesan Reggiano out of her bag. I, wow. Not joking. And so she made friends. I watched her make friends her whole life. And um, so what she taught me was the most important lesson of the hospitality industry, right, is that it's the space between people, the magic that occurs in that space. That's what we do for a living in the hospitality business, in the restaurant business. We, we attempt to make people happy and enrich their day and provide them with some loving gesture that makes them feel special, right? Creates connection between yeah. people. We don't cook. That's secondary, tertiary to what, what the real job of a person in the hospitality, hospitality industry is, which is to make people feel loved and happy and, mm-hmm. and cared for. And, uh, you know, old school Italian mom from Italy who came here when she was 30, she was raised on that, you know, and that was just natural to her. Um, so that was the most important lesson that I learned from her. And I, I, to the day she died, I learned it from her. And she, you know, retaught it and retaught and retaught it with her actions. 
Um, and you have to, it's very important to have that because if you don't have that, uh, a passion for that, you can't do the difficult stuff, mm -hmm. which is the cooking and the learning and the right. slaving well, it's the, way at the It's stove. the why behind the, the how, right? And the what. Yeah. Exactly. So you got to have that. You got to have that. Why? So when did it? It's just too hard yeah. without a yeah. bigger purpose, right? right? It's just too hard. There's just too many hours and too many cuts and burns and scrapes and falls and, uh, you know, uh, pitfalls and successes and failures. And, and it's too hard to get the skills. We didn't have YouTube. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, if I right. want to learn how to make yeah, like ice cream with liquid nitrogen, I couldn't look it up on no. Google. You'd go I to had France. To go, yeah. I had to go to Spain Same. and work with yeah. Ron Adria and beg him to let me work with him for two years. Um, so, so Queens was interesting. We lived there until it was about, uh, 12, 13. And then we moved to Long Island where I went to, uh, I immediately got into cooking very seriously. Uh, my first job was in a pizzeria. My second job was in a pizzeria. My third uh -huh. was in a bagel nosh. So I was always in food. Didn't, did you know though, early on that this was going to be your path at 14? I did not yeah. at 11. Yeah. At right. 11, I just wanted to buy love gun by kiss. Right. And that's why so I got the there's job. There's a great yeah. story with that, yeah. right? Like, what's the story with you, like wanting to get this album from Kiss? Or oh, you read the story? Like okay. So, if assuming your listeners aren't going to be bored to tears by this, I'll tell it. Um, so, I Love Gun came out. I was a huge fan of Kiss. My mother thought they were literally devils, right? So, uh -huh. think you know, 50 year old Italian woman, 1977. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, we're the same age. I remember that time, right? You know, yeah, yeah. It was it was like uh, subversive to be it, like a kid and be into Kiss. It was, yeah. yeah. And I had my room was covered in Kiss posters, floor, like literally on the ceiling, on all four walls. I had played, I played Kiss albums uh -huh. all day long, Detroit Rock City, loud <laughs> as possible. Uh -huh. um, uh, I would try the makeup. I, I thought I was losing my mind, you know. Um, I wanted to go to the concerts. I remember someone took, I, I bought, I saved up money for the first time they appeared in Madison Square Garden, and my ticket disappeared. To this day, I think it's my mom who took she it for me to make sure I didn't go to that concert. Um, so she said, uh, I'm not going to give you money to buy this record from these devils. Uh -huh. You wanted this record, you got to go to work, make it the money yourself. And I thought, I, I, that's amazing. I can do that. I can go uh -huh. to work and make my own money. That's so cool. I don't have to beg you for money anymore. So, so that's what next, got you into yeah, the pizzeria. So, so, yeah. So the next right. day we went out looking for work. Uh, we went, went to Jamaica Avenue and Queens and Hillside Avenue, these big avenues that had millions of shops. And I walked in and out of every store with her. And like by the 10th store, a guy named Sal said, well, I'll hire you. No problem. Yeah, you, you'll work here. You'll you know, scoop Italian ice. You'll grate mozzarella you'll open cans of tomato sauce help me make pizza serve fountain soda at the mm -hmm. counter pay you 50 cents an hour work 60 hours a week right it's like bingo this is great that's 30 bucks you know and at that time having a dollar 50 in your pocket was a lot of money so right. making 30 bucks was was huge so i worked that first week i got i made my 30 bucks i bought uh some girls by the stones love gun um uh the down in jamaica album can't remember the down in Jamaica, they got lots uh, of pretty women. Is that, uh, that's not Jimmy Buffett, is it? No, it's no. close though. Yeah. I so about three, anyway. three records, took my mom to Coney Island, uh, which was, you know, a big deal for us and, uh, had a Chinese food lunch out, which was a big deal for us because we weren't really allowed to eat out. My dad thought restaurants were, you know, he, right. he wisely thought restaurants were not a good place to go get food especially when we had wonderful food at home. Right. So that started me working in restaurants. And the next summer I worked in another restaurant. And then at 14, I started working full time after school. Mm -hmm. 
and uh-huh. and what was there like a, a light switch that went off where you're like this is this is going to be my life or was it just a slow acclimation to like being in this world or it just seemed like a foregone there was a, an absolute moment where i made a yeah. decision so i was on the wrestling team i wrestled 145 in high school and i cooked after school i decided i wanted to not just work weekends and not just work summers so i was at a place called the new Hyde park inn and um you know, making like close to minimum wage back then you can get away with not paying people minimum wage. And, uh, I was working at a proper restaurant. It wasn't just a pizzeria they had, you know, real meal service, real banquet hall. And, and it was run by these old school German mm-hmm. dudes and they made head cheese from scratch, you know, stuff like I was learning real cuisine. And there was a guy there who was at the CIA, the culinary Institute right. of America. He happened to work there at the same time. And, um, he was always telling me about it and, you know, going on and bragging about being at the CIA. It was such a big deal back then to be in the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. It was the only school of its kind, really, at the mm-hmm. time. There weren't thousands of cooking schools back then. And this was like the Harvard of cooking schools. Impossible to get into. I had to wait a year on a waiting list to get into that school. Yeah, but then. you still ended up there when you were yeah, 16, yeah, I did. Yeah, right? I did somehow. Like, yeah. you had to be the youngest person there. Definitely one of the youngest But you were trying to get in there when you were 15. I was. Yeah. So I, so once I decided, so, um, one day my coach in wrestling said, uh, you have to make a choice. You can't cook and wrestle. Cause you know, we work out before school, after school and on the weekends. And that's when I was going to work. And I tried to do both for a few weeks, a few months. And I, you know, I was missing wrestling practice. I was missing late for work. Uh-huh. And it, it seemed like I remember it as the same day. It was probably a few days apart, but my chef said, you have to make a choice. It's got to be cooking or wrestling. You can't do both. And my coach said, it's got to be cooking or wrestling. You can't uh-huh. do both. And, uh, and I remember thinking it's going to be cooking. I'm much more excited by cooking. Mm-hmm. And so I quit wrestling. And, uh, that was the day I decided to become a professional cook. I was about 14. Right. And then I started talking to the guy who was at the CIA and learning about how to, how to enroll there and getting uh, accepted there. And I learned that you needed, you know, documented 1600 hours of documented experience. You need recommendation letters. So I started to do all that. And, uh, in 1986, I, I, I attended the CIA. Yeah. And wow. I was 16 turning 17 and it was, you know, uh, in, incredibly life altering the the discipline and just the amount of information we were that was thrown at us was just for me like heaven heaven right yeah and so did you have to leave high school to do that like how so i didn't have to drop out what i did is i went to summer school so i could accelerate oh wow yeah so i graduated early in order Uh to get into the cia earlier so you were you were committed i was 100 percent committed i should have been committed actually because no 14 year old should be working that hard (laughs) it's insane But it's almost like a crazy like that level of commitment at that young of an age it's almost like you're channeling some crazy past life you know like this is like this is what i mean you've like this is what you've been doing ever since that time so yeah you know that's amazing to I never did anything else. Yeah, I mean, at 14, when you're enjoying getting arthritic hands from peeling shrimp under cold water for many hours a day and burning and cutting yourself and you want more and you're asking to work more and like you're begging them to let you peel onions, you're committed. Yeah. (laughs) You're in. Yeah. And you walk into a room on my first day, I walked (laughs) in, they were making head cheese. So imagine a big wooden table with pig's heads that had just been boiled to, to the point where they fall apart, being picked uh, of, of all their bones and hair and teeth and wild stuff, right? Put into terrines as, as a vegan, you're probably, yeah, your stomach's yeah. turning the, well, right now. And also the yeah. vegan audience is yeah. going to be like, their stomachs are turning So we've right traveled now. a but, like, long way since part, then. This but, is, but, but this is part of the world of, you know, haute cuisine. This it, is like what totally. you learn when you're in this, when you're. Yeah. So if you're a 14 year old, you walk into that yeah. and you're like, cool, this is awesome. 
you're, you're, it was meant to be, right? right? It was meant to be. So what do you, you know, for people that, that don't have any familiarity with like the skill set that you learn as a result of, you know, undertaking that kind of experience, like what is it that you learn that most people don't understand about what it means to like be a chef at that level? Like what is, you know, well, that's what, such a big question. There's know, so many answers yeah. I could give you. I mean, I think, I think one important answer that, that I should offer you is an understanding of, of flavor. So flavor is basically science. We have flavor receptors on our palates. We have papillae that recognize certain flavors, sour, salt, sweet, bitter being the main four. Of course, umami is, is, is a fifth now. Um, when I wrote my book, Flavor, the first book I wrote, I talked about how umami was an emerging, uh-huh. you know, concept, but now it's established. Um, so learning how to balance those four flavors in food after preparing food, creating tension and resolution in that dish so that when people eat your food, they're excited, there's tension. Tension know, meaning like- Meaning the, like, is this gonna work? Is right. this gonna be delicious? There's, is there enough sour salt? You know, just like sweet and sour food, you know how mm. it, it creates tension? And then when it, if it works well, there's a resolution, just right. like a beautiful piece of music or even art or uh, anything that's crafted from your hands. Um, you want, at least if you're going to be a chef that's gonna give, create dishes that give people pause, um, there's gotta be tension and resolution in food for it to be interesting. If I didn't have tension and resolution, I would have been a very good craftsman and made very good solid food, but it wouldn't have enabled me to have a restaurant where people came to eat my food, right? Right. Or Seamus wouldn't be able to do what he does because when you ate that dinner, you were blown away, right? Right, yeah, His mastery of the senses is what enables him to do that. So ultimately, after cutting myself a thousand times and cutting my nails off and burning myself and, you know, uh, you know, we, we, when you're learning how to use all those tools, you're hurting yourself a lot for the first few years. And Mm -hmm. so if you're willing to go through that, um, you end up with a set of hand skills that are incredibly important. You understand how to cut and prepare every ingredient, every piece of meat, fish, vegetable. Those are basic skills that a lot of people just skip nowadays because they saw how to make the ice cream with liquid nitrogen on Google. Right. Um, but those having a deep understanding of, of the craft puts you in a place where when you're challenged to make something that has no sugar and no empty calorie carbs and is high in good fat and high in protein, uh, that typically requires sugar, you know how to do it. Yeah, you have this you tool can work, box. Yeah, you can yeah. work around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So when I make pasta today, I, uh, you know, I'll get a plant-based protein and I'll mix it with fiber. I, I know that psyllium fiber gels with in contact with water, so I've already got a paste there and I'll add some protein powder and I'll create this mixture that when I dehydrate, will become a sheet of pasta. Yeah, and you'll know you know that it's going to have the right consistency and texture yeah, and exactly. flavor yeah. palette and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's wild or stuff. Or if it man. doesn't, I'll so, know what to do. Right. I'll know that something has to happen for, for it to get to that point and I'll keep working on it until I get to that point. Uh-huh. I've got a, a vegan donut now that I'm very proud of. I've been working on for more than a year. Yeah. It's 1 gram of sugar, it's got 7 grams of protein, it's made, you know, with five vegan ingredients and I think it, it has the potential to change the world. I mean, it's that's great yeah. because I think one thing that's interesting with the kind of explosion of interest in in plant-based eating and vegan cuisine is that you have the you have the sort of concomitant explosion of like super unhealthy vegan foods like I they know. finally that's figured what... out the desserts you know there's right. tons of like amazing ice creams and 
cupcakes and like that stuff's great once in a while but you know taste wise some of it is indistinguishable from the real thing and you're like well this is vegan so i'll just eat it. and it's like actually there's like a ton of sugar <laughs> you know it's like just because yeah. it's made out of plants and not animals doesn't mean, doesn't it's mean that it's necessarily going to be healthy yeah. but but i think you know it gets people to a certain place but i think it also is is you know redirecting people down the wrong path for sure so for sure the idea of coming up with a donut a vegan donut that actually you know satisfies those you know the flavor desire and is the not donut crazy craving <laughs> yeah, the, like, the, yeah. The, the whole planet seems to be obsessed <laughs> right. with right now i know yeah. figure that out like yeah. there's the key yeah. like you're gonna unlock the universe with that Yeah, i mean this is a donut that has a nutritional profile that you could that uh, you could live on this donut. you could eat this donut all mm-hmm. day long and you'll get enough fat carbs and protein uh-huh. in perfect balance you know <laughs> What I mean, what donut does Hurry that? up with that, yeah. man. No, I've got it done. I, just, I, need, <laughs> I need to get to the next step. I'll, I have to send you some and, and yeah, you have to let that. me know I'd if you like to it. try those out. And then I, I, you know, I glaze it. I call them dirt donuts. I glaze it with, glaze it with um, yacon syrup, which mm-hmm. is um, this great, I'm sure you're familiar with it and, and probably all your listeners are, but for the four people that come to this podcast because I'm on it that aren't, aren't already in your no, world. explain it. It's a tuber, like it's originates from Peru, and it's a it's a tuber that produces this syrup that looks a lot like molasses, and um, it's got a glycemic index of one, mm-hmm. one, one is almost the Super lowest yeah. glycemic index, right? It's ze- stevia has a glycemic index of zero, and it's a non-nutritive sweetener, but yacon syrup is a nutritive sweetener. It has calories, but these are good calories. These are really good calories. So, how do you get a vegan donut to look and feel like a glazed donut? You use, you know, very popular in the raw vegan world, yacon syrup or mm-hmm. coconut nectar. Raw, raw, of course. Um, really big fan of raw products. Um, and then I top it with goji berries and pistachios and all this wonderful right. stuff that's Super in this donut. world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it should be. It should hopefully end up being the healthiest donut ever created. But I love taking the t- you know everyone's favorite top ten list junk foods and just flipping them into something that's actually good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what chefs like Seamus and I need to be doing. Just to prove to people, it's healthy and delicious. You can live on this. You right. should live on this. Right. There's no reason for you to to go to Krispy Kreme and have 10 of those donuts. You right. know? What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media.
There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So you complete your tenure at CIA, and then you go off, and you're in France. Yes, yeah, so I go to France. These amazing meet, uh, chefs, almost like a all month, over the world, month right? after graduating. Yeah, yeah work with uh, Dominique Session for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, had to work in an American burger joint to pay my bills. Yeah, yeah. I also didn't have a visa. That's a whole other story. But um, so I mean, I, when you were in Paris, yeah. So you're 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 working at Cactus this- Charlie's. <laughs> I'm talking about they, like yeah the polarity uh, of those two things right? yeah Avenue Raymond Pontieu it had western swinging doors uh-huh. that was the entrance of the restaurant I'm yeah. in Paris I went there to work with great French chefs Joel Robichon one of my heroes at the time who I got to meet and actually work with a little bit because my chef worked for him uh, you know fulfilling a, a lifelong dream of working with the great European chefs which is what you had to do back then. In the early 80s, mm-hmm. you had to do that because we didn't have the the amount of great chefs that we do now in America. Right. Now you can go to any town, just about anywhere, and there's probably going to be a pretty good chef cooking really good food. Um, but back then you had to travel and get your creds, right? Those are your creds, and going to Europe was an important cred. So I ended up working at Cactus Charlie's to make my 6,000 franc minimum wage, 6,000 francs a month. And uh, and I worked for free for Dominique Session. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And what did you, you know, what do you learn when you, so when you work was, underneath, you know, a guy like that? You mostly shut your mouth and you do a lot of looking told. and observing yeah. and yeah, doing what you're told. I mean, there's those days, the rules were absolute. There, there was a king and you were a subject. And, and you know what? I was totally fine with that mm-hmm. because the education that I was, I was given as a result of willing, being a willing participant in that ridiculous scenario was so valuable and and hard to obtain otherwise impossible to obtain otherwise uh now again of course you can you can learn these things on google and youtube and you don't have to go through that torture but um there's probably something about going through that that you know when you burn in that flame you're coming out the other side like pretty well fortified for anything that you come out the other side the unburnt yeah right Uh (laughs) to use a game of thrones Uh reference yeah, when you come out the unburnt and uh, learn the, the superpowers, because part of what we do is dealing with, you know, complete chaos and um, having a stomach for adversity is a really important skill and, and uh, character trait. If, if you're in the restaurant business and you can't figure out how to jump over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, you're done. You're, you're, you're dead on day one. Well, also, I would imagine, even though it is a, you know, it's a kingdom and there's a king, like there's still... It's still contingent upon, you know, how how developed your people skills are, right? Because if you can't run your team in a functional way, you're in trouble, right? So you can be as talented as, 
anybody with what you put together on that plate. But yeah. if you don't know how to communicate and like work with others, like yeah. it's not going to last very long. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. So that's very true today. Back then, the way the form of communication that was most prevalent was simply example. So you, you watched, you had to watch, you had to watch. You weren't allowed to ask questions, really. You had to uh -huh. learn from watching and trying. And if you messed up, you'd, you'd hear about it. But if you did right, you wouldn't hear a word. And that was not being spoken to or yelled at was a great thing. Silence was perfect. Uh -huh. No news is good news back in those days. Um, now there's a lot of catering and, you know, catering to people's needs and, you know, uh, traditional mentor-mentee relationships where you're nurturing and teaching and hand-holding people through the processes. But back then, there just wasn't enough time and you just had to quietly observe for years. Right. You know, for years. And um, if you could... When your time came up and the guy who did the fish station was sick and they asked you to step in, if you could do it, you're golden. If you couldn't and you weren't, weren't watching this you're whole time, out. goodbye, yeah. good luck, uh -huh. go elsewhere or stay in the dish room, keep peeling carrots or whatever it is mm -hmm. you're doing. But there's something beautiful about that process. And I think you're, you're about to speak to that. Um, understanding what it takes to learn these deeply important skills and that sacrifice is a part of it. But the rewards are so worth it, you know, because th these are um, skills that are so deeply ingrained now, you know, I can, I can uh, access them right. so easily and it helps me every day, you know, and I see people who don't have the skills, didn't do this process, struggle too, you know, and, and come to people like me and Seamus and say, well, how do you do these things? And I think it's going to be, I think what's going to finally make what you, you do and I do mainstream is uh, enough chefs and medical uh, doctors getting into the business and, and collaborating mm -hmm. to create medically sound, and I'm talking about real, real me integrative medicine, not mm -hmm. traditional Western medicine, uh, medically sound um, examples of food that will reverse the, the problems and the disease that we developed from the Western diet. Chefs yeah. and doctors, I think, are the key. <clears throat> yeah, I think there would be, I feel like there needs to be bridges built between those two worlds, like, don't, they live in, they live in different universes, right? These people are not talking less to each other. Less and less, by the way. Know? Less yeah, and less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there, there I work could, with an integrative doctor for, that uh -huh. I use with my clients, and, you know, he's really into the food, and, you know, the Mark Hyman's of the world right. are out there now. And Frank Lippman. Lippman, of like course. That. Yeah, mine is Jeffrey Morrison. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, they're starting to bring the, these worlds together, and I think that's going to be super important. Because I think as a chef, if you, you need the credibility of someone in, the, in medicine almost to yeah. convince the person who's dabbling in healthy. Well, it's symbiotic, you know, yeah. the doctor needs the guy who knows how to make this stuff amazing, you know? So yeah. you, you, these yeah. two things yeah. can mutually benefit from sure. being more deeply embedded with each For other, sure. I think. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I want to, yeah. What have you been wanting to talk about? No, I've been there's lots of stuff I want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, you know, how about the fact that I have your wife's we can, book? Uh, I know I that's love a, her book. super. She just she's here, so oh, I cool. want you to meet her. I saw her. Was she in New York like, a few months ago? She doing was. an event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, wanted yeah. to go to that event. I did. Cool. I did. She'll be delighted. Cool. Um, yeah, she's super excited, and she's finishing up. Uh, Not Jesus. She well, our first book was Plant Power, the Plant Power Way, but she's just delivering uh, the Plant Power Italia. So she's doing oh, an Italian wow. plant based cookbook. So 
I'm sure. Amazing. Uh, that's yeah, the next one I'm working on is that. a Mediterranean yeah, based cool. diet. Because, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. Right. Yeah. This of is a course, beautiful book, man. by the so, way. Wow. Yeah, that was our first one. Are these your children? So, uh-huh. Wow. Some of them are hanging around here. Some of them are at school. Four? I don't know where they are. Yeah, four nice kids. Nice job, my friend. Our nephew lives here. And they're all, well, so. uh, all vegan? They're all, everybody's vegan. Amazing. Yeah. Plant-based. Is that the rule? Man. Is that... It's not really the rule. It just, that's how it evolved. Like, Did you have to, at some point, like advocate for your position when they got old enough to learn that they could argue mm, with you? It, it wasn't really kind of like that. It was mm -hmm. more like, well, like you, like I was 50 pounds overweight and mm -hmm. I was stuffing my face with, with fast food. And yeah. Julie wasn't totally plant-based, but she was super healthy and mm -hmm. her relationship with food is in check. And then I made my changes and I went totally plant-based. And then Julie kind of got on board with that over time. And then we just... We never made an announcement. It was just we sh we got rid of all the junk in our house and started replacing it with healthy stuff. And Julie's an amazing cook. And was that prior to so, them coming <clears throat> to the planet? Yeah, I mean, or? For, well, well, our two older boys are twenty one and twenty two. Oh, so wow. they, okay. uh, you know, they had been eating, and they're like they're my stepson. So they're they would go to their dad's house and eat differently, and then they would come here and we would eat plant based. But we right. didn't say like you can't whatever. Like she, Julie just made amazing food, and then over time that's just what they preferred. And then before they knew it, like. Oh, I guess this is how we're eating, you know, so sort of and, indoctrination. And we never and, like when they go to their friend's house, it's not like, oh, you can't eat this, like eat whatever you want. Like we're eat this is the way we're eating here. Right. And just over time, it just became that's clear to them. This is the better path. Yeah, it's yeah. better. And yeah. I feel better and I yeah. prefer it. And yeah. that's just kind of how it's happened. And every kid has had their own different version of that story. And yeah. some have taken longer or whatever and mm -hmm. have their you know different kinds of, uh, you know, different kind of learning curve. But that's. That's what we do now. So you're not it's having those really well. moments where they're bugging you to take you know, take me to McDonald's. Take no, 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 never. Yeah. Like our our two our our girls who are 13 and 10 have never had McDonald's. Yeah. Great, that's yeah, great. Never had McDonald's. Yeah. So yeah, and they've been they've been vegan their their whole lives. So, Very cool. Yeah, and that I mean they've had you know they've gone to a birthday party and had cake or pizza. It's yeah. not like that, yeah. but it's just basically this is the lifestyle that we that we lead, and they're yeah. totally on board. And are so. they advocates now too? Do they realize mm -hmm. they're in a position to be advocates? And yeah, I think that's slowly the of starting to come along with our 13 year old. I mean, they go to the school around the corner called Muse and it's plant based. Oh, it's the, terrific. Uh, James Cameron and Julia Cameron, Julia, wow. or not Julia Cameron. Um, Susie, uh, James's wife, started it with her sister, Rebecca. And, you know, they're ardent plant based environmentalists or whatever. So that's plant based lunch made at the school amazing food wow and so basically that's <laughs> it's like every kid that goes there that's what that's the way it is and so and they teach environmentalism and so they're you know they're they're being you know kind of uh educated from that perspective yeah and, and i think that naturally will instill in them as they age like a sense of right. you know advocacy and responsibility yeah, and having well, obviously you, you picked the school and that was a very wise yeah, yeah. choice uh -huh. so having that obviously makes it makes it much right. easier because that's isn't that the big problem when kids start going to school and seeing other things? Of course, they come home and like yeah. I well, school this. lunch is a disaster, and that's one thing yeah. I want to talk to you about. Because you know, a lot of what you do is in this advocacy space. Sure, and, sure, sure. I mean, you know, dealing with you know how can we get our kids healthy, healthier? Like how can we change the food paradigm in the schools, and and how can we um, address this massive problem of food deserts and unhealthy foods in, you know, the socioeconomically challenged, uh, you know, communities that, that, you know, proliferate across the world. I mean, yeah. you're from Jamaica, like so, you know, there's a lot of people that I would imagine you see on a daily basis and they're getting their food from bodegas and that's pretty much it. Right. And this is like 
driving. Yeah, but bodegas still sell plantano, so, right? Yeah, I and don't they know, sell you yuca know. and they sell lots of vegetables. Do they? Yeah, a they lot do. of them sell just crap, they though, do. too. They're liquor stores, basically. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. I mean, not, if I'm you're not, calling it a bodega, I'm not maligning a, a bodega. I'm just saying, like, the corner 7 Eleven. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Where, they definitely don't sell This is where, fresh. you know, yeah. farm subsidies are, 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 you know, keep the cost low on these right. snack foods and right. these processed foods and sodas and fast food and the like. And when you're tight on a budget and you got a bunch of kids, like you're going to eat the cheapest thing. So you're going to be the quickest to be the most unhealthy. You're going to have the highest incidence of these chronic lifestyle illnesses. And it's a, it's a vicious cycle that is further driving the economic divide between the haves and the have nots. And at the core of this, the very center of this is food. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I know you've done a lot of work in this space. Like, how do you think about the, yeah, so I, I, I definitely am spending a, a lot of my time advocating for, uh, better food policies in schools with several charities, health core, uh, wellness in the schools, mm -hmm. feeding America, food bank, um, uh, charity and, and charitable uh, work has always been a part of my life from my again my mom's mm -hmm. example at the Rosary Society my Catholic school and fundraising that she participated in it was always something we did so it wasn't uh, something I got into as an adult I've always thought that this is a, this is a part of a human's life right yeah. doing charitable work and um, about 15 years ago I had a sort of pick because as a chef you're asked to do lots of charitable work and it's it's an easy ask right you donate a dinner, you donate something, you can, you can help people raise money very easily, very quickly. And it's, and it's fun. You know, people uh -huh. get to experience a dinner cooked by a chef or come into a restaurant or whatever. So, um, and we're, we're giving by nature, right? We're chefs. We could, we feed people. Mm -hmm. We want to give everything away. We, none of us want to charge. We, we'd give everything away if we could in a heartbeat. Uh -huh. And many of us do. Uh, much of the sugar of our partners. Um, so, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know. When you went to Seamus' uh, place, did he give you 15 things you didn't order? Probably, of course. right? Yeah, of course. Because yeah. that's how we are. Um, I can't even remember whether he charged me. He might have not even, like, he might have not even oh, let I'm me sure pay he for it. Either you know? comped you or, or comped half the bill mm -hmm. or something. I'm sure. Uh, hopefully his partner is not listening. Yeah. Uh, but so, uh, I had to make a choice and my choices were to focus on food insecurity and advocacy and education regarding food. And so that's how I ended up really laser focused on health core, which is Dr. Oz's foundation mm -hmm. where they bring healthy to high school students and wellness in the schools. Who's partnered with the DOE uh, of New York city, which took them 10 years to do. And now that they've partnered up, they're in, uh, 30, uh, they're in front of 30,000 kids a day, I think in New York city. And they're now mm -hmm. in like five States and, they're growing very quickly. Seamus is involved with them as well. Um, so what they do, it's very, very, um, seems innocent, but super sneaky. They were, the deal they made was they would create the salad bar menu. Every New York city school has a salad bar and mm -hmm. you get $1 a day per student. And that sounds like nothing, right? right. But a dollar is actually a lot if you spend it properly and you, you buy local seasonal food, which we can do in New York city. Cause we do have eight months of growing and, a great farmer's market. And, uh, so in the salad, uh, in their salad bar, they sneak in all this healthy plant-based food and kids just like it. Cause kids are not stupid. Yeah. Kids see a pear and if you can get them to try it, they'll recognize that this, that this fresh local pear tastes really good. And part of being an ambassador for health Corps is visiting schools. I visited hundreds of schools, met mm -hmm. with thousands of kids. I used to bring my food truck to the school and, mm they're receptive and they're into it and they got they get this they're frightened to death that their parents are going to die of diabetes 
You know, so these kids are like, um, the analog might be you and I in the seventies worried about our parents smoking. I don't know if that was an issue for you, but it was for me. Mm -hmm. And so I used to hide my dad's cigarettes and put snaps in them. So they exploded when he smoked Uh them and we did everything we could to get him to stop smoking. Now kids are trying to get their parents to eat, you know, less sugar. So their diabetic syndrome, you know, the, the, Mm -hmm. the disease and the symptoms aren't affecting the family as much. Cause when you have serious diabetes, type two diabetes, you know, your whole family's feeling this, right? Yeah. You're, you have symptoms that are, you know, basically causing disturbances in everyday life. Of course. Yeah. The and ripple s- effects of that are, right. are unbelievable. And, you know, it's difficult to change the habits of, you know, a 55 year old man or woman who's been doing a certain thing in a certain way their entire life. But not kids, if I can get them the kids, donut. I know. Not well, if you I can get them the donut. donut. <laughs> and, and what you do, yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. You and I yeah. both change, yeah. but, you know, for a lot of people, this is hard. But yeah. kids, you know, they're, they're, they're dialed in, man. They're interested in sustainability. For they sure. understand for organic. Sure. Like they get, they get it. It's not a hard, it's not a hard sell. Yeah. And I, so yeah. even in New York city, not the mm-hmm. West coast where you're hyper aware of all this. Um, and there's a really big difference by the way. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but there it's, it's, even though New York city is super progressive, we, we're not talking about this stuff as much as you guys are. And there aren't plant-based schools to right. send your children to. There is one in Queens. Is there? I went there and did a went early on in my podcast. I forget. P.S. Oh, that's forget the number. Brilliant to know. Um, first vegetarian public school in the country. That's incredible. I think I call it vegetarian, but essentially it's plant based. There's a there's an organization called I'm forgetting it right now. I'll put it in the show notes. Healthy school lunch for kids in New York. Healthy. I, I forget. That's it. There's amazing. a woman named Anne. Uh, her name is escaping me right now. But yeah. they're doing amazing work trying to shift the school lunch. You know, sort of. Uh, systemically and this school they were they had hanging gardens in the in the um on the athletic they had a vertical like, on the basketball court yeah vertical gardens wow. hanging in the classrooms and in the library Great. and like it was kind of integrated in the whole so culture cool. wow um but that's the outlier you know right, what i mean like right, that's the right, example right. we all aspire to that but we're dealing with bureaucracy right. and lobbying right. and you know regulatory policy and yeah. all of these things that are driving these decisions and there's a lot of money to be made uh you know these contracts from keeping that get the signed system the way it is yeah whatever for 10 you know, years provider of, yeah. is providing that food like yeah. there's there's you know people in the state and federal legislatures that are trying to make sure that they get that contract and that contract stays and a lot of that is shit food so but, it, you know, but it's changing that, it's right, changing. Our, changing our non-stop blabbering is working mm-hmm. this talking and talking and talking with people who are not interested is starting to have an effect. People are starting to see the benefits of uh, a healthy lifestyle. Forget about just plant-based, but a healthy lifestyle. They're seeing it in the behavior of their children. They're seeing it in their co-pays of uh, prescriptions on a monthly basis. You know, those those costs start to add up after a while. And, you know, when people tell me... I have a big family. I can't afford to feed them healthy. I always say, well, what does it cost you when you lose the, you know, your top income earner at 50 years old? What does that cost your family over yeah. 30 years? It's you tough have to, to think get people, of all the costs. I know, right? it's yeah, tough to, to get people to motivate themselves that like, oh, well, you're going to pay for it now. Or you're going to pay for it later because you're going to be sick. But people are like, yeah, 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 well, I'll deal with that. Well, they're paying happens. for it sooner because mm-hmm. uh, type 2 diabetes didn't exist in the 60s yeah. when we were kids. That, that, that was extremely rare. I think I think it was called early onset, early right? Onset. And, yeah. yeah, it's a disease we it essentially was, recre- we yeah, created. Juvenile and juvenile diabetes, adult, early you know, onset. Whatever, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and it's, it's now more and more prevalent and people are realizing that you can fix it with food and 
Uh, we've got guys like Dr. Oz on TV every day advocating for this stuff uh, and other people like him. Uh, and I think the message is finally getting around. I think what we need to do is work on providing people with the actual food, you know, like mm -hmm. get, get the How do we make it delicious. more affordable? I mean, there is, you know, to kind of preface this, there is a sense uh, or an idea that, you know, healthy living, wellness, you know, like wellness is sort of for rich like, people. Yeah, it's like an elitist yeah. thing. You know, you're talking, we're talking about spirulina and cordyceps and crazy, you know, super expensive superfoods right, and all this kind right, of stuff. Right, it's right, like, right. how can we make just simple, healthy eating, you know, predominantly plant-based, plant-based, whatever. Like, how can we get people um, who really need it the most and can't afford it? access to these things so uh, i don't know what people are seeing that I, I must be missing but when i go to the farmer's market in new york city they're taking snap they're they're uh discounting oh they take snap they take That's snap great. at every market mm -hmm. in new york city um they're doubling the dollar sometimes they're doing offers where every snap dollar is worth two dollars and just for the listener snap is essentially food stamps Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 nutrition assistance programs. Mm -hmm. That's a federal program for people who can't afford to buy food for their family. Um, so they're making it very, very compelling to use their SNAP funds at the farmer's market versus the bodega where you would typically buy a bottle of Fanta, right, with, mm -hmm. with your SNAP money. Um, so there are places and there are opportunities. You, you just need to hear this stuff from guys like us or, or learn about it at the market. But when I'm at the market, I see a lot of um, people from communities that we think of as the ones that are typically affected most by um, the, the notion that healthy is only for wealthy people. And they're, they're buying smart, they're buying smartly, they're buying mm -hmm. vegetables and they're coming at the end of the day sometimes when the farmers are giving away the food basically because they don't want to go home with all their food. Uh, they have these $1 bags at the end of the day that are like five, 10 pounds of greens and tomatoes and whatever it is that they don't want to take home. So it's, um, you know, it's a change of routine, I think. I don't really believe that a pound of broccoli is more expensive than a pound of Hot Pockets. Right. I, I, I just, if you do the math in terms of edible product- or potatoes. Yeah, I mean, the plant, what I love, one thing I love about plant-based foods is that plants are much less expensive than meats. And I can make these donuts for little to nothing, you know, mm -hmm. using chickpea flour, right? And it's it's inexpensive stuff. So I, I need someone to make the case to me that it, living healthily is is only for the wealthy and more expensive because I just don't see it. Right. It doesn't make sense. Well, it on does the exist. Merits. It, it doesn't. It exists if you're going to Whole Foods and Erwan and like Whole Foods yeah, is the. It so was where, the issue. Now everything's right. cheap at Whole Foods. So right. Yeah, it's, it's no longer going to be the changing issue. now with yeah. Amazon. But, but I uh, think you're right. I think Whole Foods helped create this this notion that that's how you live a healthy lifestyle. You ha you have to go to Whole Foods, but it's just not the case. There are farmers markets in every city in America. And if you live in a food desert, you're probably living in, in uh, a desert of every kind. So you're probably driving around a lot, you know, to go to work or elsewhere. Um, and you're passing opportunities, you know, it, it's really mindset and uh, learning how, how, how much damage you're doing to your children if mm -hmm. you're not making, the making a choice to feed them healthy foods. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to pay pretty soon. It's not going to be 50 years down the road. You know, your no, child these things is going to have. Accelerating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I think I uh, the stat that I saw that was by 2030, 30% of Americans are going to be uh, diabetic or pre-diabetic. And I can't remember what the childhood rates are for that, but childhood it's obesity is insane. one in five now. It's, it's like, going to be one in four by the end of the decade. Are unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was like, did you see, I think it was just last weekend, New York Times did a documentary on 
the impact of uh, the impact on ultra processed foods on Brazil. Like all these, yes, do, I did, you I see did. that. It's, it's incredibly nuts. well it's done. Nuts. Yeah, and you're just seeing like how it's just wreaking havoc on this culture. Yeah, you know because they're who they're adopting our habits, local right. food that exactly. their m- mothers or or someone at home would have cooked. Um, yeah, when Mexico eclipsed America as the number one uh, most obese country in the world, I almost cried because. Every time I've been to Mexico, I've eaten the most wonderful local food I've ever had in my mm-hmm. life. I mean, they have a cuisine that is so rich and so delicious and all based on local ingredients, um, hyper-local ingredients. You know, there, you go, there are parts of Mexico that don't even know about the ingredients that are yeah. in other parts of Mexico. It's the same is true in Italy. Um, unfortunately, Europe is changing. You know, I talk about the Mediterranean diet a lot because it's, in my opinion, one of the best examples of a sustainable for life uh, diet pattern that works basically and doesn't leave you feeling like you're deprived uh, but that's changing too you know the spain and and, and italy are starting to develop yeah. obesity issues it's crazy it's even starting to encroach on blue zones you know where the people have lived you know it's like it's it's a global issue and it's not a small thing yeah you know yeah. we're talking about this is the balance of of you know the well-being of our species yeah and we're just yeah. propelling ourselves down this path that is just decimating our health and depleting our and resources that, at we, a we kind pace. of acclimate I mean, it we acclimate to it as as if it's just a new normal you know it's like this is just way the way human beings act and look and eat now yeah. and it's yeah. it's not we need to take a step back and yeah. really look at what we're doing and i think it you know <clears throat> maybe it's uncomfortable for you know, some people to have to look in the mirror and, and, and hold themselves accountable for their habits and their behaviors. But this is your life, man. And, you know, I think we all need to take greater personal responsibility for the choices that we are making. And, and to the extent that the problem seems so daunting and unsolvable, like we're just, who am I? You know, I'm just a dude. Uh, you know, everybody votes with their dollar and, and that and dollar counts. And we live in a capitalist society. And if yeah, you start buying, yeah, yeah you know, almond milk and not dairy, like the economy is going to shift around that. And we're already seeing that. Like there's a lot of momentum and I'm excited. I'm, are you optimistic? Like, how do you look at this? Like after this, um, hurricane cycle and the wildfires this year and the earthquakes, I'm a little less optimistic, (laughs) but it's been quite a season, but I'm definitely optimistic because I do see, I do see what I care about in food growing, not shrinking. And mm-hmm. I do see, I do see and hear more people talking about it, more people interested in it. Um, you know, when I, when I pitch these books to publishers now, they want what I, what I used to have a hard time selling. They're looking for that now. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I talk about a vegan donut, people are excited, you know, it's not like eyes roll back in their head anymore. And like, Oh, Rocco, enough with your hospital food. My, my chef friends thought I lost my mind and went off to make hospital food. That, right. That's how they described what I was doing. What do they think now? Uh, I, I have to you ask them, know? but I think based on the number of chef friends who are now in their fifties and asking me for help, uh-huh. uh, I think that their opinion has changed a little bit. What yeah. do you think about the whole culture of celebrity chefs as, as somebody who's, you know, walked through that world? So like, I think there are a lot of wonderful things that came out of that movement. One, uh, chefs have been able to impact the collective American palate in positive ways, not always positive, but m- many, and mostly I would say positive. The fact that there are farmer's markets everywhere again, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that disappeared in the 60s that, that are all back, I think as a result of chefs, you know, looking for better local seasonal ingredients. Uh, you know, the fact that there's a yuzu flavored Snapple, I, I even yeah. like to take a little credit for because I was one of the first chefs to use yuzu in uh, the early 90s. Um, so I think we have, we have a voice and um, 
people like to listen to us because we're fun. We, we cook food and we celebrate and we do it 24-7. And so I'm, I'm glad that we have a voice. Um, I don't think we're celebrities in the sense of, you know, real celebrities that go to the Emmys and do the red carpet and yeah, but you know, there's we're, a, we're, we're people that are looked to right, for dude, guidance. First of all, you're, you are a celebrity. So there's that, but Whatever. like also it, there was, there was kind of like, I don't know what happened in the culture, but like suddenly whether it's reality TV or whatever it is, like there was a thing where suddenly like these chefs who were doing amazing work, who were kind of doing it, you know, had their followings and, and had right. notoriety right. In, in, in that subculture were suddenly, you know, sort of foisted on the public. And, and there was kind of a, you know, a fever around that, that I don't know if it's still like that. Maybe it's, I, I've been, I've been asked kind, since the nineties, I mean, like, when is this chef thing going to end? <laughs> it's still and going I keep on. Saying, right? I don't think yeah, it's going to end. I think we're part of the permanent fixture. Now. You know, we're part of American pop culture or, right. or culture in general. And that's a good thing because we're food advocates and we're, we're people who are charitable and we're people who like to make people happy. So that, that's a really good thing. Um, in terms of the celebrity alone aspect, there isn't a chef out there who really is known for being a celebrity. They all learned how to cook at some point, most of them, and they either had restaurants. So we're working people, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're not, we're, we're different. We're different than uh, a YouTube star or, you know, that, the, uh, that ilk. Do you I know what I mean? Yeah. Right, and well, I think it's great that, I think it's great that we were given an opportunity in the eighties, starting with Wolfgang Puck and Emerald and to address America as, as a, as an audience, because we have good things to say, important things to say. We're, mm -hmm. we're a positive force, you know, mm -hmm. we got to wrap it up here, oh. but, uh, let's, uh, so many things I want to tell you. I, I feel know. like I, I just said, well, tell me, we yeah. don't have to stop. Yeah. Uh, so many things. Wow. Um, Oh, the book. Yeah. I have a new yeah. book. I don't know, like, Shameless talk about plug. The book, talk about the book. <laughs> yeah, so I have a new no, book. We it's talked about it a little bit at the outset, but yeah, go yeah. go into it, please. It's uh, over two hundred. The, the official subtitle is over two hundred, uh, mostly plant based recipes for everyday mm -hmm. life. So, uh, I, what I want to do with this book is not ply you with diet theory, not tell you about the keto diet, the Mediterranean diet, the Paleo diet, the Dash diet. My my readers get it; they understand. There's lots of diet theory and lots of ways to biohack and and you know. Ha break into the system and get your body to do crazy things. Um, but really what's sustainable over a long period of time is just cooking healthy food. And I'm talking about common sense healthy, right? We know that there's too much sugar in our diet, so I don't use any sugar, refined sugars in this book. Um, I don't talk about it in the beginning very much, but I don't use gluten. I don't really use dairy in this mm -hmm. book, except for I break for Parmesan Reggiano. Uh, and I find that for most people, when you're making pasta out of like pea protein, you have to have Parmesan Reggiano to get them to eat it. But uh, but your wife's version of Parmesan yeah, Reggiano is going to well, save me. I was going to say, you yeah. got to like check that out. You I might do. be revising that for your next book. I do. Um, um, so the book the book is actually 248 recipes. So it's a proper cookbook. It's the first proper cookbook in eight books. Um, and I believe that there is something in that book for every single person who wants to cook at home and live a healthier lifestyle. And these are super simple recipes. And every every book, uh, every recipe has a picture, which is super important. Mm -hmm. um, my readers keep telling me they want more recipes and more pictures. That's all they, they keep telling me. And so I'm delivering what you've been asking me for. Uh, and the pictures are hyper-focused on the food, extreme close-ups. It's, it's food porn at its best. 
Yeah. Well, there's there's certainly no shortage of plant-based recipes in there too, and I'm excited to try them out. That's 90 percent. Super cool. Yeah, yeah that you've there's that a you few meat dishes. That. That, yeah, you and, gotta uh, can't you can't throw the baby <laughs> yeah. out with the bathwater. I know. We'll yeah. get you there. We'll see what the next. Yeah. Part, you know what I mean. Check in with me in a year, man. I'm gonna get you. I'm Trust gonna get me, you 100. percent I pitched it. <laughs> They're like, no, yeah. <laughs> you're a little resistant. Like, don't lo- don't lose <laughs> your entire. You're audience, losing you know? the thread yeah. completely. Um, but, uh, but it's cool, man. And, uh, I appreciate, um, I appreciate the work you do and it's been a cool journey to kind of watch from afar and nice to meet you. I think, uh, it would be great to kind of, um, round this out and, and let people go with, um, you know, some, some wisdom around, uh, trying to help people like you work with these clients one-on-one, you're seeing it on the front lines, like people that are struggling with food and trying to find their way through it. You know, if somebody's listening and they're stuck and they're like, I hear it all. Like, I understand it. Like, I just, you know, how do I take that first step? What do I do? Like, how do I, how do, you know, how do I put that, that first foot forward? Like, you know, help me, throw me the life. Yeah. Line, so the prequel over. is the hard part. The prequel yeah. is always the hard part. And I, and I, I talk about the this a lot with my clients getting to the point where you're making a conscious decision to change your life right that's the struggle once you've made the conscious decision it's usually fairly easy it has to be self-motivated it has to be a self-driven thing yeah. it has to be an internally you know and hopefully not always motivated by something catastrophic your doctor tells you right, right. unfortunately that's what happens most of the time um but you know what just give yourself 72 hours and try some of the stuff we're talking about just you know try my recipes try your recipes try Try, you know, making yourself shakes and smoothies for, for three days out of, you know, full fiber or no juicing, you know, blended vegetables and fruits and give up the gluten and the dairy and the sugar and tell me how you feel. Because right. you'll feel a difference in about 12 hours yeah. and 72 hours, you will definitely feel a difference. Right. And, and you'll you, get to a point where when you add that stuff back, you feel a, a negative difference. You start to feel really bad. Uh, once your body's cleaned out and detoxed. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're, you're, you're getting people to connect with how they feel physically. If you're seeing junk all the time that you acclimate to that, that's your normal, you you lose touch with how you can feel. Right. So creating that connection. Yeah. So if you're one of those people that's always tired and cranky and you're overweight and your clothes don't fit and, uh, you're super self-conscious and you know, you're sick of that. Give it a try. You have nothing to lose. <laughs> you know, go to go to negative calorie diet. Try my three day cleanse. It, it's a, a cleanse with food, so it's not one of those crazy juice cleanses where you eat nothing. Um, try, you know, I don't know the first ten pages of Plant Power Way. I'm sure has a great plan. Just try it, and 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 then tweet me and tell me you don't feel a difference. I dare you. I yeah. dare you to tell me you don't feel a difference because you will. One important thing is to drink a lot of water. Very important that pe- people don't realize we need to be our, our muscle is the only part of our body that burns calories, and if it's not fully hydrated, it doesn't work. And so, uh, drinking a lot of water is super important through any of these processes as you detox. Water will keep you sane. Yeah. Nice man. Rocco's healthy and delicious. Yeah. Comes out October 10th. Is that 17th? 17th. 17th yeah, yeah. Right on. When will this air? What's that? When will this air? Uh, I'll look at the calendar. I'll try to, I'll try to orient it around um, it when it comes out. Everyone. Yeah. Cool. No worries, man. Yeah. But probably around that same time. That'd be great. Cool, Thanks. man. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. This dude. is really wonderful. Superman. Nice to meet you. Awesome. Good talking to you. <laughs> High five. High five. Uh, cool. So you can find Rocco's pretty easy to find on the internet. Rocco Despirito on ubiquitous on Instagram. Whether yeah. you like it or not. <laughs> All good, man. You got any triathlons coming up? Are you div- are you still So back surgery two years ago. Oh no. Been yeah, uh, yeah. Three the bike exploded is, uh, discs. In balls. Oh man. Yeah. So running is definitely out of the question. I can bike still, but yeah. it, it I have to refit my bike now and uh uh-huh. yeah. You live in Manhattan? 
Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. So where do you where do you uh, so do you might. go do you go up like uh, up across the bridge? Up, yeah, yeah, I do that a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do up and down to the bridge. From mm-hmm. I live all the way downtown, so right. Upper West Side. Yeah, cool. Uh, plus out in Long Island. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice dude. But if you're eating, you know, one thing, it's ninety percent food, right? You know this. Yeah. I think the game is ninety percent food. So if you're eating well, you don't have to you know, do a triathlon to get into shape. You don't have to do any of them. I mean, it's wonderful mm-hmm. to do and definitely something you should try if you're into it, but you don't have to go do bar class and do all these crazy things. Uh, if you're, if, if you're just eating well, cause you'll get yeah. to 90% of your goals with a, a change in diet a profound change in diet. For most and people. if you are doing all of those things and you're not paying attention to how you're eating, it, it's not going to work. You're going to end up one of those people like my clients who say, I work out all the time. I can't lose weight. It's because you, you can't out train a bad diet. Right. You just can't. So. Good talking to you, Matt. Yeah. Cool. Peace. Lance. All right. Pretty cool. We did it. I dig that guy. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. You know, it's funny. Rocco and I were talking before the podcast just about stuff and life and what I do, what he does and what Julie does. I was telling him about Julie and her food and her books. And he took a look at this cheese is nuts. And he's like, oh, I have this book. I love this book, which I thought was super duper cool. Julie was out at the time at the beginning of the conversation, but she came home like right at the end, right when we were finishing our conversation and she let him taste a couple of her cheeses that she was working on and he tasted them and he just like lit up the guy like just smiled from ear to ear and he gave her like this huge bear hug and i just thought that was kind of an amazing moment for for julie to be recognized by such a great well-trained chef like rocco was a really special moment in any event if you want to learn more about Rocco, RoccoDespirito.com. He's at RoccoDespirito on all the Instagrams and the Twitters. He's easy to track down. So give him a shout. Let him know what you thought of the conversation. Please check out the show notes on the episode page at Ritual.com. We got tons of links to take your edification beyond the earbuds. So how's your plate looking? Are you guys eating more plants? Are you inspired to get more plant-based after listening to Rocco? But you don't know where to begin. You're not a big cookbook person. You don't know what to do in the kitchen. You're lacking the tools or maybe just, I don't know, a little bit of a helping lending hand to get you started and to keep you inspired on this journey. Well, you might enjoy our new meal planner. When you sign up, you get thousands of plant-based recipes right at your fingertips, unlimited meal plans and grocery lists. We're now metric system compliant. Everything's totally personalized and customized based on your goals and your food preferences and your allergies and your time constraints. It's very mobile friendly. We have an amazing customer support team, experts, not people who don't know what they're talking about. I'm talking about people with graduate degrees, athletes, moms, people who live and breathe this stuff available to you to answer all your questions. We even have grocery delivery in some 60 odd metropolitan areas. We're getting great feedback. People are really enjoying this. It's life-changing stuff, people. I'm really telling you that this is a great thing to explore if your plate has caused you consternation. You can learn more by going to meals.ritual.com. It's basically $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year, totally affordable. And uh, I just love it. Uh, I'm really proud of it. I think it's an amazing service. And uh, yeah, check it out to learn more. Meals.ritual.com or click on the meal planner on the top menu at ritual.com. A final reminder, my 51st birthday is coming up. I really want to reach my $51,000 goal to build clean water projects on behalf of Charity Water. 
So please visit my fundraising page at my.charitywater.org forward slash rich roll. We've already raised 28,000. It's amazing. Thank you guys so much. It's incredible. We're going to be helping so many people and it feels great to give. It really does. It is the giving season. So I implore you to be generous, check out my fundraising page and consider a donation. Again, my.charitywater.org forward slash rich roll. If you would like to support this show and my work, share it with your friends on, on social media, no brainer, leave a review on Apple podcasts, subscribe, hit that subscribe button. Very important. Uh, we have a Patreon set up for those who want to financially contribute to what I'm doing. And I really appreciate that up through my birthday though. I would appreciate any considered donation to go to charity water. I think that's a better source of those funds right now. Uh, if you would like to receive a free short weekly email from me, I send one out most weeks. I missed again this week because I was in Austin. It was just so crazy. Anyway, it's called Roll Call. Uh, I usually send it out Thursday, but I started sending it out on other days. In any event, it's pretty regular. Five or six things I've come across over the course of the week that I think are informative, inspiring, usually a couple articles, documentaries, videos, products, things like that. I now have a huge list of things I want to put in roll call. So I think next week's going to be pretty beefy. Uh, in any event, thank you to everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering and production, help on the show notes and for the interstitial music. Sean Patterson for help on graphics. David Zamet for his photo portraits and video. We are preparing a video for this Rocco episode that I'm going to be sharing with you guys soon. And theme music, as always, by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. Uh, see you back here soon. We're going to do a midweek podcast this week, I believe. It's going to be great. So check it out. And until then, be well, live well. Peace, plants, namaste. Yeah.